0: Doug Buden is an actor known for his roles in Friends, Modern Family, and Two Broke Girls. But I first found Doug through Jeff Lewis's show on SiriusXM, and I totally fell in love with his voice. His positivity and fun nature comes right through the sound waves and into my car every time I listen. That's why I knew I had to dream a big dream and ask him to do the intro to our podcast. And because of your help, I connected with Doug. And now he's the voice you hear every time you listen to the intro of each episode of Zimmerman Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Doug about the similarities between entrepreneurs and actors, how to commit to your passions, and what it looks like to explore an unconventional career and life. Let's dive in. Doug, you are such a good human, and I'm so thankful you agreed to be on Zimmerman Podcast. It's so fun to sit in the same virtual room with you. So while we're here together, I want to get to know you and your story. So obviously, you're a whole person outside of being an actor, but I definitely want to start there since that's what most people know about you. A lot of my audience knows you because of the podcast intro, because I asked them to help me boldly ask for what I wanted, which was you doing the intro for the podcast. So tell me, what do you remember about the process of of my asking you to record the, the intro. <laughs> um,
1: I'm so glad you asked. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be a guest on your podcast. Um, and it's so nice to hear your voice because a lot of times people are only hear my voice and I don't get to um, talk with a lot of people. Um, what I remember is out, sort of out of the blue, I started getting um, all of these Uh, dms on instagram and 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 also tweets people are like you need to check your your instagram um and then people were sending screenshots of this lovely looking gal and it said something like help me get doug buten and i at first i thought oh, isn't that funny? There's somebody else named Doug Buten. You know, like there's that sourdough bread maker in, San, in um, San Francisco. And I was like, people always send me pictures. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a similar spelling. But I was like, wow, I wonder who she's really trying to uh, book. And then I watched your Instagram story and it was me. You were talking mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. And there were all these people and, and you were very crafty because you're like, everybody who hears this message, reach out to Doug and get him. So I thought, Oh, this, I gotta, I gotta do something. So if I remember correctly, I, I think I just DM'd you directly. And I was like, Hey, here I am. And and that
0: was it. You were so kind. And then you did it and it was amazing. And you were just incredible, but I did. I did the did the whole thing. I know you did the whole, you got the booth. You were so professional. You sent me pictures. It was awesome. I loved it. But it was it was great. I had heard you on um, on SiriusXM. You were a guest on Jeff Lewis Live, which now you're like a regular co-host on there. I like it. I, I say I'm
1: irregularly regular.
0: There you go. I like it. I like it. But the first time I heard you, I just thought, this man's voice, like, I just want to listen to him all day. First of all, just the tone of your voice is incredible because I... I'm loud and obnoxious and I have this Southern draw and I just hate hearing myself. And I thought, he's just so pleasant to listen to. Like I could just (laughs) listen to him all day. And then you start telling stories and they're fascinating. Like they're just incredible. And I thought, I like want to be friends with this guy. He's incredible. So anyway, you're making me um, blush. Yes. No, well, it's the truth. It's the truth. So I let's dive in a little bit. I really want to know, but also just a side note for the listeners. I always say, If you want something, you got to ask for it because you the worst anyone can say is no, that's the worst. And guess what? The best that can happen is that it all turns out exactly the way that you wanted. So we are living proof of that right here. I wanted uh, I'm I'm unknown in the podcast world and got Doug to do the intro. So it's pretty incredible. So but that's going to change. We're going to we're going to we're going to get to the top of the charts. It's going to be good. Um, Okay. so I want to know, how did you know or when did you know that you wanted to be an actor and did you experience any kind of opposition of people like from your parents or friends or teachers telling you that you shouldn't explore acting as a career? Cause I definitely think that we have some similarities in Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship because I mean, acting in a way is, is entrepreneurship. You're, you're going out and making a business for yourself.
1: Yeah, it's true. And, and sort of always waiting for the next job. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I well, I was always sort of a clown, a little ham. Um, I actually was, I think, supposed to be a violinist. I think that was my parents' um, intention originally, because they started me at the violin at age five. And the people with whom I studied are all like playing in philharmonics around the world. Um, and just sort of somewhere along the way, I I was always like in the school plays, and then I, I did some commercials and stuff when I was. Um, in college. So, but by then I was already sort of, you know, taking acting classes. I guess I was just always a performer and doing it as an actor sort of was the most logical path so that I could get paid to do what I really enjoyed doing. So um, to that end, you know, I, I went to conservatory, I got my graduate degree, but I think, you know, in terms of like um, resistance or, or, you uh, you know, people saying like not to do it in my family or friends, my my family has always been super supportive, um, sort of as long as I got an education. You know, they I, I, it, I never planned to, you know, like quit college and like, you know, go off and, and, and join the circus or, or an off-Broadway show. Um, but I also was not given that opportunity. So now now that I say that, I wonder like, if I had booked a show, would I have left school? But the, the most important thing, My family was that I continued my education. In fact, I was a double major sociology and theater with a with a music French minor. Boy, do I use all those every day. Um, So, you know, I well, but I I will say I think studying something like sociology or psychology um, as an actor is super, super important because you are you know, when you're an actor, you're just sort of being, you're just doing it as somebody else and in a different set of circumstances. So I think having a really well-rounded education is super, super important. And then all the little technical things you can learn, you know, in your own time, or you can take classes to learn all of the the specific technical stuff. But um, yeah, so I always, uh, God, I'm I'm discovering how to roundabout speaker, I really am. So I think I... I was always going to be a performer. At some point, it shifted to okay. Well, a performer is going to be an actor, and then I just stayed in school and then went to acting school to do that. And that kept me in the good graces of my family, who has been super supportive and and very 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 lucky that my parents were able to help me. Like when I was in grad school, um, you know, I had a job, but it, it didn't cover my New York City rent and my tuition. So, you know, my family really helped me out. They covered my tuition and, and, you know, a lot of stuff that helped me make it through.
0: Sure. Did you, um, did you, were you taking acting classes while you were going to school or like, what was your, in your head, were you thinking, okay, I'm in college because I have to just like get this diploma, but the, this is going to be my plan when I, when I get out, like, did you have, kind of those thoughts at all
1: i don't think i really knew you know back then back in the olden days when my when an eight by ten was really like a silver gelatin print and your your resume was hieroglyphics um you know like i didn't have somebody sort of telling me what to do and what the right path is and when you're an idealistic um drama student in college. And I remember we'd have these conversations like, I'm never doing commercials. I would never do a soap opera. You know, meanwhile, like the first jobs I got were commercials and, you know, that helped me buy my apartment in New York. So right. I think my plan was just to stay in school and then move back to New York and work in the theater. I was really, you know, theater trained and and I still have, um, you know, one of my biggest dreams is to, to do a show on Broadway. I was very lucky to get cast in a play. My professional debut was a play with um, Liev Schreiber. Um, I went to high school with him, and, and his name was Lee when we were in high school, but now it's Liev. And um, Cherry Jones, he's amazing actors. You know, we did that eight-show week that you have to do in the professional theater and sort of get that routine. And 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 the, the best training is to do a play because you have an audience, and whether Whether you're happy, sad, sick, or elated, you know, at 8 p.m., you have to put on a show and you have an audience that has paid money, who has never seen you or this play before, and they have, they deserve the best performance you can give. And so that is, I think, the best training. It's better than any, anything you'll learn, you know, in school. Um, But that was my goal was to just stay in school and then sort of transition to New York to a grad program and get into the theater. As it turns out, I think over the summer between sophomore and junior year, I had my first headshots taken, like, you know, as a, as a grown up kid. And um, I sent them out and I, I booked a TV job uh, that summer. And I had to go audition for a brand new play that was going to be on Broadway called Six Degrees of Separation. That's what year it was. So I auditioned for it. I didn't get it. I had a callback, but I didn't book it. But I did go back to college, I think junior year, like getting into the union, the Screen Actors Guild. Um, and then it just made it a little bit easier, you know, the next year to in the off time to get back to work.
0: And I think it's, I think it's interesting because you were actually in, you were in New York. So because what, what, what year are we in at this point when you're like in college or graduating college? I was
1: in college 87 to 91. I graduated college 91. So I think it was like 89 or 90 that I started working professionally in the theater and television.
0: So, and I'm not saying this to like
1: be Maybe like oh, I'm a little bit younger. I'm not saying this at all
0: but it's interesting because it was 88 89 90. I loved the TV show Full House and I basically wanted to be Stephanie Tanner and I thought so people do this like this is some so this is a girl just like me and she is performing in front of the camera and she's getting paid to do this and I want to do that. And I remember going downstairs and talking to my mom about it. And I was dead serious. Like I I want to do acting and She basically was like, "Uh, We can't do that here. Like, we don't live in Los Angeles or New York. Like, we live in Arkansas and we're not to move to do that. So, now I think so many things can be done so many places, right? I mean, like, I'm recording this podcast in my closet, you know, and we can, we live in this world where we can do so much ourselves or it can be done in, you know, a variety of places. But then it really was probably, New York and in LA, right? So you yeah. you're lucky to be there, right? Exactly. I mean that
1: I, I think if I were living, you know, in Arkansas, I probably just wouldn't know what was available. Again, this was this was a day, you know, there wasn't internet like you couldn't just google mm-hmm. um, in fact, when you were sending out your headshots and resumes, you had to handwrite or if unless you knew somebody with a computer to send cover letters with your headshot, you had to go to the post office and you would spend four hundred, five hundred dollars just mailing headshots mm-hmm. hoping, you know, that somebody will see you and 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 bring you in. I mean, which I did and, and I was lucky enough to to get a couple of jobs out of that. But mm-hmm. you know, these days, uh you know, I was I was in Florida at a family function a couple of months ago and my agent called me and they were like, Hey, can you go in on this um TV show tomorrow? And I said, Well I'm in Florida, you know, it's, it's already Friday, and they, she called me back. She's like, "Okay, you could just self tape." And it's like, you just these days you can self tape and submit your audition online. their uh, possibilities are are incredible. That said, it also opens up the door to a lot more competition because now everybody can submit, you know, for a job right. or people everywhere. So you know, there's there's good and bad, but yeah, it's just sort of easier to create content these days. Um, and then hopefully it sort of triggers what you're looking for than it was right. back when I was starting.
0: So speaking of that, so I hear all the time from my students and my listeners that the industry is oversaturated. It's, oversaturated. it's oversaturated. How can I stand out? How do you answer that in your industry? Because I'm sure everybody feels like it's oversaturated. So how do you stand out or deal with that mentally and I, knowing that there really is an abundance of of work available?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not going to lie. I think it is a challenge. It's like you always have to, I have to like sort of check myself a lot. Um, Otherwise you would just, I would just live in despair. I mean, the the sort of the truth or the fact is that, um, you know, everybody here is trying to have the same career and um, there's a lot of people who could do these jobs. But the other half of that is I'm the only person who could do me. So you know when when i finally learned to stop trying to do what the other people were doing or like how would so and so play this role then i'm just doing a version of somebody else so right. i think what i try to do is think about what is truest to me because that is something that nobody else has and you sort of just have to have the faith that you know it may not be today it may not be tomorrow but at some point, the, it'll intersect. You doing you over and over again and the person who needs that version of you will intersect instead of just always trying to change to fit the you know the shoe that you think is going to be the right one. Because you could be wrong. And the, and the other thing is, is that you could think, oh, this is what they're looking for. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to give them. But the truth is, it, they may not know what they're really looking for is you. You know, I did a, a pilot uh, years ago where the role was written for an Asian woman. And I read the script and I called my agent. And I said, I, I need, this is me. And she was like, yeah, they're looking for an Asian woman. I said, well, I'm not going to go in as an Asian woman, but I have a take that I know, I I, I can tell this is what they want. And I, I mean, I was very lucky that they were willing to see me but they did let me come in and I think the character's name was Allison Chong in fact um and I booked it and the director said you know I I, I don't even remember why you were there I, and I said oh I talked them into let, letting me be seen mm-hmm. but he said the second I saw you I was like oh that's the role and so that's the thing it's like you just have to do you and know that it'll work out I also I also say and this is for me really important it's like I try not to worry myself with with what everybody else is doing. I never, or at least I try not to talk badly about people. It's like, why put energy to negative aspects of other people? If you can sort of promote yourself, and if you do the best version of you, then that's what people are going to talk about. You know, if you talk bad about somebody else, then people are just saying, oh, that person, I've heard bad things about that person, and it sort of makes you look bad as well as opposed to sort of just promoting yourself and the positive attributes and you know it'll it'll land
0: Hey, are you loving this episode? If you've been listening thinking, oh gosh, I'm so glad I found this. This is exactly what I've been needing. Then I need you to do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on your social media. I can't reach more listeners like you without your help. And these early days and weeks of the podcast are absolutely crucial to building the listener base we need so that we can keep producing content that is free to you and answers all your biggest business questions. So share this episode, tag me at Jessica Zimmerman underscore, and then get right back to listening. Thank Okay, so summer 2019, imagine me waking up at 5 a.m., taking my kids to the gym while I work out with my trainer, going to the pool, playing blocks on the living room floor, and then wham, totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Crawling into bed in my Christmas pajamas, I was already doing all the energy-boosting things I could think of. Then my nutritionist told me about Bee Powered from Beekeeper's Naturals. I just take a spoonful of the Bee Powered Superfood Honey every morning, and I'm not kidding. I see a huge difference. I know not everyone can have a nutritionist, But anyone can get this superfood, honey, and I'm making it even more accessible for you. If you use the link in my show notes or simply go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash you'll get 15% off your order from Beekeepers Naturals. So if you're a tired entrepreneur or foggy-brained parent, you need this stuff. Again, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash bee. I think it's so interesting what you were saying just about um not looking at what everyone else is doing. I'm so big on that, like not even following people in your industry on social media and everything, just staying in your lane and doing your own thing and what you put out there you get back and and it's just it does it takes too much time and energy to to be watching what other people are doing cuz then you can't help but Either compare or right. try to try to imitate it, or you know those things. So I think that's really really great advice. Yeah, and then
1: it's like if you're imitating, you're doing you're doing like your version of somebody else's work, which is always going to be like, oh, that's another version of what I've seen. And
0: people can and see right through that. They can yeah. see right through that. Ex- and so exactly. It's just exactly. better to be authentic. And I think too, like I love that story about how you took that role, even though it was for an Asian woman. But it's like you went with your gut on that, and you boldly yes. asked to be seen. And there you are. You got it. So, you know, like
1: Estelle Getty, you know, when she was um, in the Golden Girls, she was turned down originally because they said she was too young. You know, and she went back in mm-hmm. costume and and booked it. It's like you know, sometimes you just sort of know when you when you you feel it. You know, you just sort of feel it. And, and i and I know in your industry, it's the same thing. Like, and, and I'm not saying don't pay attention to trends and what people are resonating with, because that stuff shifts a lot, like, you know, the color of the year and what flowers sure. are in season and all those things are, are super important, but maybe just to inform what your vision is, as opposed to dictate what it is.
0: Right. I think sometimes even with our industry, there can be, I remember I talked to someone one time who said, you know i just felt like i had to be um really expressive in my sales meetings and i had to you know dress a certain way and all that and this was someone who's basically like a farmer you know and she oh, said God. it just isn't me at all and and it wasn't until i started 100% being me in my my overalls or my hearts and and just started doing my sales the way that i do my sales that i started really making money and it just is so much like people can just see right through it when you're not when you're not being you
1: when you're not authentic
0: yeah for sure yeah. I, find, I find that
1: on the radio i mean this is like a, you know it's like i the the weird it is so weird to actually just be yourself in public <laughs> in front of a microphone because that isn't something i'm used to you know i am used to sort of putting myself into a different character, which is obviously informed by all of me because it's me playing it. But I don't think of it that way. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick my nose in public, but on stage I would pick my nose if, if I'm supposed to be picking right. my nose. And Absolutely. so, you know, but this experience uh, doing this radio show for me has been an incredible eye opener because um, I'm just sort of being me. I mean, that, that's what's, it's, it's, it's a very weird experience.
0: And, you know, you said earlier before we pushed record, you had said that you're not, you're just learning how to really talk about yourself um, because you're, you've always played someone else. And I think that's fascinating. And that makes a lot of sense. And that you were talking about psychology a minute ago. And I wonder, you know, do, did you or do you, do you think sometimes that and I I feel like maybe this is a general statement, and this is probably different for every single actor out there. But there there's a part of you that wants to escape your real life, and so mm-hmm. you want to play someone else's. Or is it strictly a job that you enjoy and it's fun?
1: I think it's I think the, in the perfect world it's both <laughs> because then it's you know feeding your family and feeding your soul. Um, I think uh, for me, you know, very pers- It's like a very personal. Um, route, because I, I was sort of bullied a lot as a child. Um, I, and I love making people laugh. And so it's like, I, I really got comfortable in that space. And then so that sort of leads to the rest of it. And, and when you can make money doing that, well, that's sort of then the perfect um, combination, it's a perfect equation there. So I think, though, it's, it's, it's a really foolish um, choice to go into this just for it to be a living because, you know, as an actor, it's basically, um, an exercise in rejection. Uh, you Mm. know, most, most actors don't make enough money to just be an actor. So it's really, um, born from passion and from a passion of performance. So I think, you know, most actors, you just, you know, we're all doing everything we can to get to the next job. So I think, um, if I were like smarter about it, you know, I, maybe I would have had a different, um, I don't know, I would have figured out a different path. I don't know. No, no, I like what I'm doing. But I was just thinking, I was, I was, at, what I was thinking about was like um, when you do a sitcom, they have these warm up people, um, you know, in the audience, mm-hmm. like you know, Ellen and all those shows, yeah. and those guys make a. ton ton of money but i think most of them are actually comedians not actors so Mm because sometimes i'm trying to think like well where else can i plug myself in as an actor you know i could be a tour guide at some historic home and just you know perform the tour but um because you you do have to make a living in this world you know and when you're a kid it's very easy as i was saying earlier it's very easy to be so idealistic and 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 high voluten, but you know, when you got when you have to pay rent, you, you gotta pay the rent.
0: Right. So how do you how do you stay consistent in your work? Because I think you know, in our industry, in your industry, in any kind of entrepreneur's business, you you need to get paid. <laughs> you have bills to right. pay. And so how do you stay consistent with your work? And then two, you also on top of that are having to do things like I always think about, you know, the corporate life, which I would never want in a million years, but one of the pluses to it is you can just get your 401k taken out of your paycheck. You can just, you know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's your planning isn't for your, for your retirement, for your future isn't quite as you can do a check Mark and do it where as for me to set up my retirement, it was several meetings and da da da, you know? And so you're having to think about those things as well as, just try to stay consistent with your work and pay the bills.
1: Right. So, how I, so what I do, I mean, I've had so many sort of, um, you know, day jobs around in my life, you know, and I've, I've done a lot of consulting. I I really um, learned a lot about marketing and specifically gay marketing. And for a while, when I first moved to LA and I, I there was this, um, gay and lesbian film festival called Outfest. And I, I couldn't afford to buy a, t- a ticket. It was like $1,700. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Let me volunteer. So I started volunteering for Outfest and it was sponsored by Absolute Vodka. And Absolute Vodka, as a gay person, I can tell you, you know, Absolute is, has always been very, very out there in terms of its support of gays and lesbians. And so in my volunteer work, I ended up meeting. I, I was like in the party committee or something, and um, I ended up meeting the the team that handled all the activation for Absolute. And so then they called me, and I and I, I was volunteering. But then they called me just about three weeks later. They said, "Hey, we have another event in L.A. Do you want to work that for us?" And I was given a day rate, and it was a really good rate. So then I did another one. Then I did a few more, and I ended up working you know, as a consultant for this gay and lesbian marketing agency working on the Absolute Vodka account, which led to the, me working on the first five seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. And so it became like a great job that allowed flexibility to continue to work as an actor. And that, in, in, as an actor, the biggest challenge is finding something that's flexible because you can get an audition and, you know, the day of. I, I, when I did Two Broke Girls, I got that audition at 10 o'clock in the morning for 2 p.m. that day because um, they had hired, I think it was, I don't know if it was Nathan Lane, it was somebody who dropped out of the role. And, and so they had to recast on the fly. Um, and so if I were sitting in an office, I never would have been able to go to that, you know, job. Um, so, you know, I was very, very lucky that, um, well, not lucky, I, whatever it was, I was, it was smart that I volunteered and it was great that I did good a good job volunteering because it led to this other job. And so I think you just always have to have something in the fire. You know, when, when you're not doing anything, when auditions are slow, it can drive you crazy. And then you start sort of breeding despair and you become like a Mr. Womp who just invites, you know, <laughs> problems. So I always say you just have to stay busy and not make it, not make getting the job the most important thing. Because you're, you're just going to exhaust yourself. So, you know, when, when um, many, many years ago, when, when auditions were super slow, a friend and I wrote a play for ourselves. And we ended up, because we were so bored and we needed something to do, um, we said, well, let's write a show. So we wrote a show and we shopped it around, we workshopped it, and, you know, we ended up doing it at the HBO workspace. You know, we ended up creating our own thing out of boredom. And that led to many, many jobs just from doing that. So the chances are you're going to have to do more than one thing in your life until you're the big thing. And I think, you know, people talk about passion a lot. And it's like, I think we're conditioned to believe that we can only be passionate about one thing. And I think that's hogwash. I do too. I'm passionate about cooking, eating, traveling, acting. I mean, tons of things. So... You know, I think people um, can limit themselves by thinking they're only supposed to be passionate about one thing. But
0: how wonderful if
1: you could do more than one thing with, with your life, you
0: know? Absolutely. You you live, we live one life. So we, we want it to be whole and we want it to be as, I mean, colorful and as creative and fun as possible. And it just, I don't know, it saddens me to think of anyone doing the same thing for their entire life. It just, I don't know. And I know some people are happy with that, but for me. Yeah, some people I love mean, it you got to pivot and do things differently all the time. It just, I don't know, I get bored really easily. But I love your advice, though, about like slow seasons. And I couldn't agree more. I, I think that if you just sit there and you focus on the fact that the calls aren't coming, or the inquiries aren't coming, or the, you know, auditions aren't coming, that's not doing anything for you. So filling up your time by doing things that are productive. You know, I always say like in my business, well, what's interesting is my uh, signature course, The Business Bound the Blooms, like I wrote that during the flow season. That simply yeah. came from me knowing <laughs> that January and February are always slow months and just thought, eh, it'll give me something to do. And now today, I mean, it's, it's a and huge- it became the thing to do. So that, I mean, right. it's, you know,
1: it's like, it's just having the frame of mind to sit with yourself and sort of think about what that can be for you. And again, don't think, don't look at what everybody else is doing and say, oh, let me do my spin on that. Figure out what is, what is going to come directly from you, because that will be the most organic, authentic, and quite frankly, probably the easiest thing for you to do. You know, being yourself is the easiest thing, even though it can be hard at times. It's like, you know, it's what comes natural and what comes natural comes out of you really easily.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um so I have a I have a question. I want to get into some like just person not personal but curiosity questions which this is a good lead because you're we talking about passion and for someone like my husband who's like um I'm not passionate about anything I always say you, you may not have like this one thing that you're totally into. That's okay. Not everyone does, but you definitely are curious about things. Like, what do you, what do you Google? You know, and he Googles real estate and weather. Oh, <laughs> he there sounds, you go. He sounds so exciting. Yeah, he really is. But, um, but he, you know, and I'm like, well, that's, that's what you're curious in. Like, that's interesting to you. And so get involved. I don't know, somehow in those, in those areas, but it, it, it doesn't always mean that. They were handing out passion when you were born, and you got skipped. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's different levels of passion, I guess is what I'm saying. But okay, so this is a curiosity question. You and I talked before, and I remember you saying. So, for those of you don't who don't know, Doug was on an episode of Friends where he uh, was the li- not the librarian, but the um. Yeah, I think I was, wasn't I? Or was I was the librarian. I may have been the assistant, like the, the assistant librarian. The assistant librarian, yes, and um. And I s- said to you something about that episode and you said, oh, well, you should have seen some of the other ones that I was cast for, but Friends ran long. It was always written long and there's only, what, 22 minutes mm-hmm. that it can actually be for the, for television. And so if they were running long, can you tell the story? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so, well, th- what, what happens is in, in the sitcom world, um, you know, scripts change every single day. And they get shorter and shorter and shorter. And so when you do a table read on day one, they already can tell like where they're going to have to make a lot of cuts and changes. And every day the script absolutely changes. And then while you're filming it, they even change it more. I'm sure, you know, if you've seen on TV where like when they're making a sitcom and you do a take and then all the writers run up to the director and they all pitch different jokes and then they hand them to you. And it's really learning it on the fly. So the first episode that I was cast in a Friends was called, uh, it was the Thanksgiving, the one with Ross's sandwich, I think it was called. It was a Thanksgiving episode. And on day three, so, and this was also before um, email with, with Friends, you would get a script delivered to your door late at night, probably around midnight, because um, that's when the writers would finish working on The Next Day's Version. Like emergency.
0: your house, like your home door. Yep,
1: yeah, it was delivered to your home by a messenger, and you would wake up and you would, open up your door and there would be a manila envelope and it would have your script for that day. And it was a, every day is a different color revision. So,
0: so wait, 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 wait. So mm-hmm. In today's world with email, aren't they scared of it being like hacked or somebody forwarding so, or do you have to sign major contracts or? Yeah.
1: These days they get, you get an email and these days they only email you the changed pages. So you get your, your script emailed to you. And then every day you get um, just the pages that you need to swap out. And what they do, um, they indicate the new pages with a little asterisks. So if you look at a TV script and I could send you some pictures if you want, so you could see, um, you'll see there are certain pages that have like five asterisks. And you know, those were the lines that were changed from the previous version.
0: How interesting.
1: So anyway, on day three of that episode i woke up and there was no script for me and i thought oh that's odd they didn't send me because they didn't deliver the script and my agent called and they said you were written out and i freaked out jessica i like i was crying because i had no i didn't know that this is totally normal Fine. and one of the producers um called me at home which also very very rare and they said we loved you. Don't worry, you're coming back. We're going to have you back. You know, don't worry about it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. You know, I was. Re- I mean, I was really devastated. But just a few weeks later, they called me back, and I had to run back over to Warner Brothers, and they gave me this new script, and I met with them, and they were like, okay, you got it. Come to the table read. So I went to the table read for the episode that I ultimately was in, which was called, um, I think it's the one with Ross's library book. Uh, It was directed by David Schwimmer. Anyway, at the table read, the person with the stopwatch said, okay, we are 12 minutes long. So I said, okay, everybody, it was really nice to see you again. Bye. (laughs) And the producer said, we are not cutting your part, Doug. Don't worry. And the episode I was in had Maggie Wheeler as Janice. It had Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. It had so many people. And they were all, you know, much more established than I am. So then the next day, the script was waiting for me at the door. And I noticed they cut about six pages, uh, but all of my stuff was still there. There were no asterisks for me. So we go. And that first day, then you start camera blocking. You know, you do a run through. And they said, OK, we are six minutes over. And I said, OK, don't worry. I won't leave anything in the trailer. And they said, Doug, you're not going anywhere. The next day, the script was there. And they cut somebody else's scene but they wrote a new scene for me. And they said, okay, we're three minutes over. And I just kept my mouth shut. And uh-huh. then on tape day, all my stuff was still there. Um, in fact, there was a scene that I did that was cut because the sensors cut it. But um, in the tag, uh, they had me coming from the, the stack of books where I had just had sex with somebody and I was tucking in my pants, but apparently I was tucking in my pants in too sexual and salacious a way, So they had to said, <laughs> not going to happen. Um, I have a feeling these days it would air, but back then uh, it was, it was too far, but yeah, I mean, that's just, it's one of those things. It's you, you, you even when you book the job, you're, you're, you never know how long you're gonna be there,
0: well, that's my question because with such a like I don't know, I'm so big on being paid for your time. I always say like that's the one thing that you know QuickBooks doesn't have a column for is your time, hmm. and so do you get paid for like we are hiring you and you came and you read and you camera blocked like like do you get paid per day? Do you not get paid unless no. you so
1: i mean you know this is all covered by my actors' union so. In a very technical sense, when the casting director uses the word booking, when they say you are booked, you are supposed to you know you get paid um, because there, you
0: could you would potentially say no to other things because exactly. you said yes. yeah
1: what it does mean in the long term, it means you wouldn't be eligible for residuals. So believe it or not, I still get checks for friends. Um, That's insane. Yeah, I, I mean, I get checks for charmed. I, I mean, stuff, stuff from like 1927, I would still get checks from it. But you, if, if you, you're an
0: actor, do all actors get residuals? Or are you a certain kind of actor that gets?
1: No, residuals? no, any, any union actor, any, any union actor, when you do a union job, um, if it's broadcast, you get residuals. What so, does
0: union actor mean?
1: So like uh, so the, the union that covers actors is SAG AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So all of these shows that we were talking about, those are all union jobs. Those are covered by the actors union. And the Teamsters covers the, you know, the Grips and the Camera Crew and the, the Writers Guild covers the writers. So all everybody who's working on those jobs are all in the union. And we pay union dues and we get union health insurance and the union looks out for us in terms of making sure we have residuals. I think very famously, I think the Brady kids did not see a cent of residuals from the Brady Bunch because they didn't have those um, rules in place yet. But now everything is covered when it's a union job. So anything you see on TV, um, all those actors, all those guest actors Still get residuals. Now it is not anywhere near what you make to do the job. So you get you know one nice payday when you do the job, and then it just it diminishes over time to you know cents on the dollar. I literally have received checks for one penny, where it mm. costs it costs more for them to mail me the check than mm-hmm. it does you know for the check. But what you know I still deposit it.
0: Right. Do do so. Do you have like, for example, in in my industry, I have like a minimum, you know, like I'm not going to do a wedding unless it's at this price, like it's just not worth my time. So do you kind of do the same thing? Are you like, does like your agent know this is my minimum? Or do you get to say... This is how much I want to be paid for this. Like, do you negotiate? How does all that work?
1: Yeah. So the way it works is there are certain minimums that the unions require. So there are different kinds of contracts. There's a co-star. There's a guest star. There's a top of show guest star, a one day guest star. And each of those has like a corresponding set of minimum dollars. Um,
0: Okay. This union. So, are you? Um, do you pay them like monthly dues, or do they get a percentage of what you make?
1: <laughs> Both. So, I, okay. no, I I have to pay. Uh, we pay dues uh, every year, and then depending on what our earnings are, our dues change. So, they it's like you know they know how much money you make, and so you have to. Um, when you Not get your, your renewal, it's like, I don't know, 2% or whatever it is of what you made that previous year sets what your dues are going to be. And in order and you want to be in good standing because that means I get all the screeners so I can vote for the SAG Awards. And and, you know, and I know I'm covered. But then on top of that, uh, a lot of actors then do have a minimum that may be um, above, it's would be called above scale, right? So like if the scale... For the job meaning the, the minimum union requirement maybe the scale for the job is 2500 a day when you can get to a certain point where you say okay well my minimum is three thousand dollars a day or if you want share she's you know scale plus two hundred thousand <laughs> whatever it is um, but these days where there is so much competition a lot of shows will say they do not break top of show that's what they call it so if a top of show, is the highest um, scale job, a lot of shows won't pay over that. Um, and these days when, when you know, tell, so many celebrities want to work in television, you know, they they won't pay the, the big bucks the way they used to. Um, they'll just pay the what the show, you know, what the union requires.
0: What's your, um, like, fondest memory of being on the Friends set?
1: Oh my God, I was so... Nervous that I was going to get fired, but so excited uh, just just to be part of it. I think I mean a personal high was um, Brad Pitt coming over to me and hugging me and thanking me for keeping Jen uh, laughing all week. Okay. Because then I knew that Jennifer Addison was talking about me like in her alone time with Brad Pitt. So like yeah. that was a very exciting uh, moment. Um, getting the badge to get onto the soundstage because there was such tight security and yes. West West Wing was, was shooting right next door to us. So like seeing all the West Wing actors, like seeing Alison Janney in the commissary, you know, just like being part of that. Yeah. It was, was super, super exciting. And then like in terms of like um, as an actor, that was one of the first sitcoms I ever did. And the fact that I made it through, like, you know, without puking on anybody or pooping my pants, uh, I give myself like a well done you, Doug, because yeah. it's a lot of pressure. And and as I was saying earlier, like, the the while you're filming it, you know, the, they run up to you with just totally different
0: dialogue that you just have right. to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's crazy. That's crazy. So uh, would you say that and Modern Family are like the two... Well, you've been on so much, but I mean, just like as far as like worldwide known kind of
1: um, programming, pro- I, probably. I I, I mean, it is it is the weirdest thing when you're um, when you're uh, in a different country and like I was in Germany and an episode of Charmed that I did was was mm-hmm. on and it was dubbed and I was like, oh. who the hell's that? And it was like yeah. somebody playing me in German. Um, but, yeah, I think certainly Friends uh, is the most well-known because it, re- it still reruns everywhere. Um, but, yeah, I, I've, I've had some really, really fun jobs. And, and, you know, sometimes it's, like, not the biggest hits that are the most, that make you the most happy. You know, it's like sometimes when you have just a really good week. Um, I remember Frasier, working with the Frasier team. Like, they they were the nicest people. They all genuinely liked each other. We all went out for lunch together. It's like sometimes you work on a set where it just it feels so incredible. And and as a guest actor, you know, you're invading somebody else's family for five days. If if you're lucky. Sometimes it's only one day, but if you're there for five days you know, you don't want to be too pushy. You don't want to be that like, let's do a recipe swap, everyone, because, you know, it's, they're going to have a whole new group of people to work with next week. So right. I have, I've learned to sort of just sit back and bring a book, to keep myself occupied. And if they invite me in, great. But I try not to be the, like, we should all be friends person. Right.
0: That's so fascinating because, yeah, it, it is. It's all different. Like I'm sure every set, every show is just, it's a completely different group of people. So they're going to do things different. And so you almost have to be super adaptable too, to the way everyone does things differently. In show business, you have agents and casting directors to connect the right actors to the right roles in the business world. We have Pinterest. Pinterest is my favorite tool for connecting to my ideal clients, especially in the wedding world. Here's the thing. Brides everywhere are already using Pinterest to collect inspiration for their weddings. Wouldn't it be great if while they're creating boards, they could be connecting with their dream vendors? What if that vendor was you? When I first started my business, I relied on magazines and bridal fairs for marketing. I don't think I got even one bride that way. Now, almost 100% of my wedding marketing is done through Pinterest. I get inquiries from clients all around the world and, in my own backyard, every month from Pinterest. If you want to learn how Pinterest can transform your marketing strategy, check out my free training at ZimmermanPodcast.com slash Pinterest. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash Pinterest. Have you determined what um, success is for you? So, you know, I mean, as an actor, there are people who, you know, win Oscars and make $20 million films. And, you know, and then there are people who do commercial work or voiceover work, you know, like, what is your definition of success as an actor?
1: Um, well, I set a really low bar for myself, (laughs) I think.
0: That's okay. <laughs> um, I was just to give you an example. I was I was having a conversation. I had lunch with a guy yesterday who was asking me some business questions, and I said, "You've got to define what success means to you." Like for me, the fact that at three o'clock I can shut down my computer and then go pick up my kids and be with my family for the rest of the day, like that's success to me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't need to own three homes and have all this money. You know. Whatever, like success to me means I have enough and I get to be with my family.
1: I think I, I, I think that's I'm, I'm like I'm glad I don't have to support somebody else because I'm, just, I'm just trying to worry about myself and the dog. Um, I think the for me success is being able, it's being able to be confident about what you're doing and knowing that you're doing the right thing. Like that to me is a success. And I always think like the money, the notoriety, all that stuff is sort of ancillary and comes along with with success. So like, I I try not to make that the focus. I have a very weird thing. In fact, you know, like just in terms of money, you know, when I was um, testing for Modern Family, I don't know if you know, I, I tested for the role of Cameron. Originally, I, I tested at the studio and at the network and you have to, before you can go in, they make you sign. It's like
0: Eric Stone Street, right? Yes. Yes. It
1: was me or Eric Stone Street.
0: Oh, you would have been and so I, good.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's done pretty well for him too, but yes. <laughs> so before you go in to the room to, to read for the actual network, you have to sign your test deal and it's a six year deal. You can renegotiate after two years. But, you know, that's your agent. Before you do that, your agent and you have negotiated with the business affairs of all the networks and stuff. And there's a lot of back and forth. And it started to make me so uncomfortable because you're just looking at all these numbers, all these dollar signs and how big your trailer is going to be and all these things that are so enticing and exciting. And it's more money than you would ever dream of making in, you know, a week of work. And it started to freak me out and become just too much about money and a friend mm-hmm. of mine who's a really successful actor said um, just try not to be involved in the money and mm-hmm. if you can and I said you know what I'm going to take your advice and I said to my agent you know what I don't I don't want to know and she's like what do you mean you don't want to know of course you need to know I said I don't want to know I said it's in my best interest that you get me the most you can and it's in your best interest you get me the most that you can because she right. makes 10% of what I make. So right. I said, so whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's going to be more money than I have and and just get me the most. And when I went to sign the test deal and all the numbers are there and the casting director, this guy called Jeff Greenberg, he said, now I understand you don't want to look because you're supposed to check and make sure it's all correct. I said, I mm-hmm. don't want to see it. He's like, well, what what do you want me to do? I said, you look at it, make sure it's correct and I will trust you. He's like, this is highly irregular. And I did, I signed it, and I had no idea, zero idea what I would have made. Of course, now after the fact I, I looked at I looked at the contract. I thought, oh shit, really? Oh God. I'd be talking on a wireless microphone now instead of one plugged into my ear. But um, yeah, I try not to make success equate money. Because that's just one, that's not success. That's just having money. Um, And if you are a success, chances are the money would come along with that.
0: Right. So what, so did they, did they, did your agent say you didn't get the part? Or like, what, did you, did you have to like uh, audition next to Eric?
1: Yeah. So I... Um, when I was at the test, I remember Ty, Ty Burrell was there. That's his name. Oh, yeah. He was there. Cause I had done an episode of, um, out of practice. That was one of his shows. I was, I did an episode of him cause we knew each other. And Julie Bowen was there. A bunch of the people who ultimately were there. Oh, and Jesse. So I tested with Jesse and I knew Jesse Ferguson already. Um, just from other jobs. He and I went in together and then I went in with somebody else. Um, and then. It wasn't Eric, it was a different guy who was there, and they had him go in uh, with Jesse and him go in with this other guy. And then, typically they have up to five days, oh, they have, I think, two days to let you know if you didn't get it, otherwise you're sort of on hold for five days. And um, the casting director at that point, he and I were already uh, very friendly, and he knew my number, and he called me, and he was like, you're not going to get this. And I'm glad he told me you know otherwise you would have I just would have been on Titterox hooks the whole week but it's 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 very common and then I went like 2 weeks later I tested for a different show for NBC called mm-hmm. I 100 questions for Charlotte Payne I think that's what it was called it it only lasted a few episodes on air but I tested for that one uh, and I didn't get that one either so I ate a lot of ice cream that month. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it is—you're so right. Like it's a—it's a training in picking yourself back up and going again.
1: Yeah, because you know, because ch- chances are you're not going to book it, and eventually right. you'll book it. And eventually, you will. You do have you to know you- that it's not personal. It's really right. it, it really isn't personal. They—they want—they mm-hmm. want, they want everybody who comes in the room to do great and be the one, but mm-hmm. there can only be one.
0: It can only be one. Do you think people close to you understand your work? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah.
1: no. Yeah. No. I mean, in L.A., um, you know, this is sort of an industry led town and, and people, most people I know here in L.A. are somehow related to the entertainment industry. And so they get it. Certainly the widow, Butin, my mother, is clueless every time... I don't even tell her when I book a job anymore Uh because I say like... I used to say like, oh, hey, mom, I, I booked an episode of whatever it is. Oh, for a series regular? And I say, Right, no, no mom, just, just one episode.
0: Oh, well, right. that'd
1: be nice for that week. You know? like- that,
0: moms just have a way of doing that, but I did several speaking engagements this year, and my mom was like, so I don't... So they they fly you out there? Like, what... <laughs> Pay you? like what do you talk about <laughs> right. you you people, are pe- people are paying to hear yeah. you yeah, no, yeah what are you doing out there i'm speaking mom i'm getting paid for a speaking engagement huh <laughs> well, Mm-hmm. okay you
1: right, right. know, like, if you say it's, so like, it's almost like they doubt that it's even happening yeah. you
0: know no one understands what i do no one understands like i'm almost a little relieved that this podcast is now out because i'm just going to tell people i'm a podcaster like every other human being on the planet and because it's too complicated to be like well wedding planning turned online educator it's just people are like what is that it's, even too, mu- yeah.
1: it's too much they people. don't
0: even believe like it's a real thing so Goodness. Okay, so what's something that is like a core part of your identity that the outside world might not know about you? Besides that, you love salt.
1: (laughs) Oh, I do so love salt.
0: I Um, also do. You love salt, Mm -hmm. fleur de sel. (gasps) Fleur
1: de sel. Oh, it's that's a beautiful finishing salt.
0: Himalayan. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't. Uh, I don't have a lot of salt. I have a few, but I, um, when I come to California, I mean, I want like a whole lesson. I want to come Let's over. Let's go for salt chopping. A- I would love it. Let's go do it. Like, well, I- do, I- you have a, do you have a truffle it.
1: salt? You need a truffle salt because it makes scrambled eggs sing. Truffle oh salt. And also I also want to make potato. Truffle salt.
0: <laughs> that would be unbelievable. I'm going to get some. I'm going to yeah. get some. That would be incredible. So like, um, what's something that we don't know about you? Oh,
1: God. I uh, I mean, I will say, uh, like, I talk about how I don't lie, how, like, Mm -hmm. I I really, and that is, I think people think it's a joke, but it is, it is so important to me, Um, and I, and I do think it's because I went to Quaker schooling, you know, as a kid, and, you know, we had an honor code, and my friend Tom Seller had to turn himself in, he failed himself at self-paced jogging. And I turned myself in for accidentally cheating on a French exam. And it's like having that honor code is so important to me. And so it's not like a gag. I really, I am a terrible, terrible liar. I just, I have the word. People can always tell when I'm lying.
0: I think that it's just like even just talking to you or hearing you on the radio, it, it, you just I think that's one of the reasons I was um, like attracted to your energy is you can just tell that you're you're honest and trustworthy and authentic. And I think most of the time, like we talked about earlier, you can just you can. You can read that on someone, and you can definitely read when they're when they're not being that. For sure. Yeah, and I
1: think listen, I, I think it's okay to be diplomatic. I'm not like if someone's like,
0: does this make me look fat? I'm
1: I'm not like a uh, liar, liar, whatever that movie was, where I just have to tell exactly what I'm thinking. I think diplomacy is is appropriate, but I'm, I can't like I have a really hard time with dishonesty, and and yeah, I think you can. Uh, it's interesting. If, if yeah, I guess you could hear it in people's voices.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: Because I get all like splotchy and I start my eyes start darting all over the place and I hand right. and haw and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. But yeah, I think, I guess you could probably hear it.
0: So what's it like going from acting and like playing this other role to now being on the radio and being Doug Butten, like it's not Doug Butten as <laughs> yeah, yeah. the librarian. It's, 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 um, it's Doug Butten.
1: It is definitely, it is so much fun. I, I, I want to leave with that. I, I'm having the best time. Um, I am, I've am. i known Jeff for, for many years, you know, very casually, but um, I had never met Megan Weaver before and I just, I am in love with Megan. I think, you know, so I've I've been able to meet the greatest people doing this gig. Um, it's part of the entertainment industry. So it's, I feel like I'm sort of, sort of in my lane. What Absolutely. has changed. And what's interesting is I went up for a show last week and um, it was a very, it's a, it's a, a, a one hour episodic, a drama. And this was a guy who was going to be a witness. He was a witness to something and he's very nervous and he's being interviewed by the police. And you know, it's it's um, a really sort of fun kind of role to play because you could be sort of quiet and still and all those things. And here's here's what was different is I went in and I, I did it. And the casting director, whom I don't know, she was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you did you did that a take like that. I thought you were going to come in with all these bits and stuff because I listened to you on the radio and you make me laugh so much and all this stuff. She's like, I thought you were going to take this huge comic route to it. And it was just kind of weird that somebody had this preconceived notion of sort of what I'm going to bring, you know, you right. can my demo reel, you could see the stuff I've done, but just because she listens to the show, she expected one thing for me that I didn't even think about you know delivering so that that was like a a, a, a sort of refreshing um in this instance of least, um experience. but I mean you know it's it's still just me and and uh, Jeff is the Jeff is the one like when, when we're out, everybody recognizes Jeff for sure.
0: how interesting so a couple years ago, I had to get my life together and start exercising again and so you didn't you have an exercise class i
1: had my first uh trainer session on monday i still can't how lift my hand it, over my head
0: oh my I, gosh how did it go were you like i do not want to do this i do not want to do this no, I it, it was
1: such a generous gift from jeff tr- truly um i know that it, for him this is great because it just provides some more fodder to talk about on the radio but um, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to benefit from this. So let me just jump on board. I uh, had never been to the James on purpose. I did go once. Oh, I, I, yeah, I call it the James, not the gym. Um, I'm a little more careful. <laughs> and um, so I went to the James once to get my parking validated. Uh, and that was it. So this was um, a private James. And this was very fancy. It was so fancy, in fact, that when you walk in, they said, Oh, you can just leave your phone and your wallet here. And it was like just like a, a drawer at the front desk. And I was like, What? And they said, Oh, it's secure. And I opened it up and every, like everybody just randomly throws in their phones and their wallets. Like, I could there were some rich, famous people in this gym. I could have gone really? I could have gone through people's wallets. But then um, I met the trainer. And, you know, he has like one of those bodies. He's like mm-hmm. a magnificent body. He showed me all the, how to use all the torture machines. And he like, first he does it and it looks, you know, right. Amazing. And then he takes out the pin. So there's no weight. And then right. I have to do it. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um, and then I, I was like, well, that was really fun. And I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going to go back on Friday. And I felt great when I left. However. Here we are two days later. I cannot muster the energy to hold the steering wheel of my car. I right. can't little, lift my arms. You're a little sore. But it's just, it's just <laughs> yeah. sore. You're
0: not hurt, you're just sore. You can, yeah. you can, you can work through it. But, the, but it's like, it, it almost is so interesting what it does to your brain. Like you can get done working out, and you can go look in a mirror, and even though you may not have lost a single inch, you're like, I look, I look better. Like I don't know, just <laughs> something to your brain where you just you feel better, you feel more confident. I think that's really cool. I'll, I- I'll check
1: back in after a few more sessions.
0: Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so here's my final question: Are you ready?
1: Okay, go.
0: Okay, good. So if you had Oprah's money, billions of dollars, and you had to spend it on something for yourself, like something totally selfish what would you spend it on?
1: One thing? One thing. I mean, the, the first thing that came to my mind was I love um, crisp sheets. And I, I once said something like, if I could afford it, I would sleep on a set of new sheets every single day. And then we could donate the sheets to hospitals or whatever. Because um, I would only want to sleep on them one day. But I, but I also love brand new underwear.
0: Yes. So these I mean, are these are great answers. It's about oh, really? the comfort. Yes, okay. this is. I would have never guessed this in a billion years.
1: The and the other, the only other thing that I that I thought about was like, oh, I want to have the kind of money where I could have the florist deliver. You know, like they service your, your apartment or your house. Yeah. I need like one arrangement for the entryway. And mm-hmm. then maybe like, a low hydrangea arrangement for the dining table. So like those rich people who have like different arrangements in every room and they get changed out every week.
0: Yes. But that, you have have given you, I've given
1: you more than one thing.
0: No, I love it though. I love it. That's so good. It's so good. Thank you so much for being here. And oh, thank and you. I'm so like, thrilled I, I, that you are the intro and it's amazing. I, and haven't it's so heard, so I haven't heard the finished intro yet. Oh my gosh. I got to send it to you. It's so good.
1: Is, are you, I mean, it's just, I, are you happy I'm super, with, it? Okay with it?
0: I am super happy with it. Are you kidding me? I mean, you could have just said like, welcome to Zimmerman podcast. And that would have been it. I would have been happy. So <laughs> it <be> great. <laughs> I'm so appreciative forever and ever. So, well, thanks for talking to us and giving us a little behind the scenes of like your industry and everything. I think it was really, it's it's amazing how how similar they are in many ways.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Because, it's, you know, again, it's about selling selling yourself and what you bring to the table. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, two different kinds of tables.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We appreciate it. Thank you. Come back soon. Okay. Okay, where can everyone find you?
1: Oh, uh won't you visit me on Instagram? I'm at Doug Budin. D-O-U-G-B-U-D-I-N. Oh, and, and listen to um listen to us on Jeff Lewis Live on Radio Andy uh channel one oh two.
0: And you need to see his um acting reel. Oh yeah. Need
1: to. Oh so yeah. Good. See it all.
0: See it yeah. all. We'll put it all in the show notes. It'll be really good.